Now, the third episode in our series, January 6th, Views from the House. Recently, we spoke with 14 members of Congress about where they were and what they saw on January 6th, when a mob stormed the U.S. Capitol trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. This week, we hear from Representatives Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat of New York, Ronnie Jackson, Republican of Texas, and Colin Allred, Democrat of Texas. The first voice you'll hear is former Vice President Mike Pence, who was presiding over the joint session that day. Madam Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session to verify the certificates and count the votes of the electors of the several states for President and Vice President of the United States. At 1 p.m. on January 6th, the House and Senate met in joint session to count the electoral votes of the 2020 presidential election. An hour later, A mob entered the Capitol with the intention of disrupting the vote. As the protesters moved closer to the Senate and House chambers, Vice President Pence and Speaker Pelosi were evacuated to safe locations. Minutes later, security officials ushered House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and other congressional leadership off the House floor. With tension rising in the building, the House and Senate abruptly recessed. Without objection, the House is going to go back into recess. There were a few dozen members of Congress in the House chamber at that time, including Representatives Hakeem Jeffries and Ronnie Jackson. First, New York Democrat Hakeem Jeffries, who chairs the House Democratic Caucus and was one of the most senior party leaders on the House floor when the day's proceedings were interrupted on January 6th. He starts by telling us about the mood on Capitol Hill that day. Heading into January 6th, there was some concern Uh, that there could be some issues with respect to the protesters who were descending on the Capitol. But that is uh, traditionally the case uh, whenever there is a high-profile and contentious matter uh, that may be before the Congress on a given day. No one could have uh, reasonably anticipated that we would encounter a violent insurrection and attack on the United States Capitol. I arrived uh, on the floor of the House shortly before 1 p.m. for the start of the joint session. Shortly after being seated, the senators began to arrive uh, and to be seated in the chamber for the beginning of uh, the joint session. The roll call of states began, uh, and then we got to Arizona. At that point, uh, objections were made, I believe, uh, joined in by Senator Ted Cruz. uh, When Mike Pence asked, is there a senator who was also joining in with the objections uh, upon Senator Cruz, in my recollection, rendering the objection Uh, the senators began to leave the chamber along with the vice president. At that point, uh, the debate began with respect to the objections connected to the state of Arizona. Uh, And there were about 45 minutes worth of debate, as I recall, uh, before the proceedings were interrupted. During the debate, perhaps the most memorable uh, moment was when Congressman Jamie Raskin rose to speak 
for the first time uh, since uh, the news had broken that his uh, son uh, had tragically passed away uh, on, I believe it was New Year's Eve or certainly uh, in close proximity to New Year's Eve. Uh, and that was the first time that Congressman Raskin was back on the floor. Everyone on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, stood uh, up prior to him speaking to give him a standing ovation. At some point, the sergeant and arms uh, interrupted the proceedings to indicate uh, that the Capitol had been breached to some degree uh, and to keep us informed uh, as to the nature of the activity. So we get an update, so I need everybody's attention. Get down under your chairs if necessary so we have folks entering the rotunda and coming down this way. So we'll update you as soon as we can, but just be prepared. Stay calm. But the debate uh, continued. Uh, I stepped out of the chamber uh, briefly uh, and encountered a Capitol Police officer who was getting some water. Uh, and I asked him how it was going out there, and he said, that they were engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, and that they were being overwhelmed by the crowd. I asked him, had the National Guard arrived? He said they had not. Uh, and that there were some reinforcements from the Metropolitan Police Department, but not nearly enough. That was my first indication uh, that something serious uh, had been going on, uh, but it was still not clear to me uh, that the Capitol was about to be overrun. Representative Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat of New York. I returned to the chamber as the debate was ongoing, uh, and then it was interrupted again. After uh, seeing Speaker Pelosi uh, immediately removed from uh, her seat at the Speaker's chair at the front of the chamber, and then, as I mentioned, I was in close proximity to Majority Leader Hoyer uh, and Majority Whip Clyburn. Their personal security details came over to them. Uh, and I think it was uh, Mr. Clyburn who they said, sir, you have to leave right now. Uh, and Whip Clyburn and Leader Hoyer were expeditiously removed from the chamber at the same time, uh, someone from the sergeant at arms staff uh, said that the Capitol has been breached. The protesters are in statu statutory hall uh, in close proximity to the chamber. Uh, secure the gas masks that are underneath your seats and be prepared to hit the ground. Now, I've been in Congress at that point for about eight years. I had no idea that there were gas masks underneath everyone's seats. Uh, and it was really at that point that 
it became clear this was a serious situation. Representative Colin Allred was seated right uh, behind me. Uh, Pete Aguilar was in close proximity and so was Sean Patrick Baloney. Uh, as people were uh, working through the issue of trying to uh, open the gas mask, I recall uh, that Ruben Gallego, uh, who of course was a former Marine, uh, who served one or two tours of duty in the Middle East, uh, was helping people in the chamber uh, open their gas masks and get it into uh, the proper position. Uh, at the same time, Colin Allred, right behind me, after uh, someone from the Sergeant at Arms, the staff said, be prepared to hit the ground. Uh, and it was clear that um, a mob was massing right at the front door uh, to, to the house chamber. Allred says to me, I don't know about you, but I'm not going down without a fight. Now, before Colin Allred uh, came to Congress, he was a civil rights lawyer. Before he was a civil rights lawyer, uh, he played linebacker in the NFL for five years. Uh, and so when Colin Allred says, I ain't going down without a fight, you know he meant it. Next thing you know, uh, his jacket came off uh, and then my jacket came off, Sean Patrick Maloney's jacket came off, Pete Aguilar's jacket came off <clears throat> because we were literally prepared to have to fight for our lives because that's how perilous the situation uh, seemed to be. At some point shortly thereafter, uh, someone from the Sergeant at Arms' staff, or maybe it was the Sergeant at Arms himself, uh, urged everyone uh, to evacuate uh, and to follow them to the right uh, of the chamber from where I was seated uh, on the Republican side uh, of the House of Representatives. Uh, and that was where um, we were evacuated. And I recall passing um, Jim Jordan at the time and saying to him uh, in a somewhat animated fashion, is this what you wanted to happen? This is exactly what you wanted to happen, isn't it? And Congressman Jordan uh, didn't really respond, sort of appeared shaken as was the case with a lot of folks in the chamber. We're being evacuated. Um, and then I run into Liz Cheney. She, of course, is the chair of the House Republican Conference at the time. Uh, and we are sort of evacuated in close proximity to each other as part of the entire group. The uh, Sergeant at Arms uh, was the first person to talk to us, didn't have a lot of information, uh, but presented uh, some of the circumstances as they understood it in terms of what was happening at uh, the Capitol. Initially, when members were arriving, uh, and you had members who were arriving who were on the floor, and then subsequently members who were in the gallery, uh, and then also members who were coming from their Capitol offices uh, were arriving. And there was a lot of uncertainty as to what exactly the situation was the gas masks were humming uh, and buzzing, which I guess is what happens when you open 
the packet. And so there was sort of that noise that was taking place. A lot of members uh, were fielding calls from their family members and loved ones and reaching out to, to folks, also checking on staff to see what was happening. Representative Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat of New York. In that safe location, uh, it also became clear immediately to Liz Cheney and myself that we were uh, the highest ranking members of leadership in the room at the time. Uh, because the constitutional officer, speaker, majority leader, majority whip, minority leader, minority whip, uh, all of whom have, you know, security detail uh, and executive protection units uh, were in a, in a different location. And so uh, at that point, Congresswoman Cheney and I realized uh, that to the extent that we were going to communicate anything uh, to members that we should do it together and make sure that we were on the same page. Uh, and throughout uh, the several hours that we were there, uh, Congresswoman Cheney and I together spoke to the members on three different occasions. Uh, the first time, uh, really just to provide some indication uh, as to what we understood the situation to be uh, that Capitol Police officers were working to secure uh, the location. Uh, it was our understanding that the National Guard had not arrived, but was being mobilized. Uh, and we also urged all of the members to make sure that they were not revealing the actual location of where we were, even to uh, their spouses and loved ones, just to communicate to them that we were okay. Well, everybody on the outside had a clearer understanding of the peril and danger that we were in. Uh, and so early on, uh, we didn't really have the highest degree of information because particularly being on the house floor, we didn't really get to see the images uh, and the real time footage of the ongoing assault on the Capitol. However, uh, once we arrived in a secure location, we were able to get some understanding of that and could only have imagined how our loved ones were feeling watching it all unfold in real time. So it certainly was a great comfort to uh, myself and every other member to be able to communicate uh, with you know, our family members back at home. Uh, one of the communications that I received that was disturbing uh, was my brother reached out to me to indicate that uh, to check to see if we were okay. Uh, and I, of course, responded, indicated to him that I was okay. And then sort of as an aside, let me know, oh, by the way, he and his family had received a threatening message from someone indicating that they knew where my brother and his wife and his three girls lived uh, and that they had people in the neighborhood and that if me, meaning his brother, the congressman, uh, didn't stop telling lies about the election, something bad was going to happen. And that the protesters or those who were engaged in the insurrection uh, were ex-military and ex-police. Now, how he got my brother's cell phone number, I have no idea how he figured out uh, where he lived. I had no idea. My brother was more concerned about me uh, than he was about him and his own family. 
But that obviously was a very troubling situation. It was a terroristic type of threat. Uh, and the person who subsequently was found to have engaged in that terroristic threat has been indicted uh, for uh, federal criminal law violations. But that was uh, you know, sort of one of the more um, searing moments in the midst of all of the chaos that was taking place. But the members were there to comfort each other. Uh, and one of the moments that I'll always recall is the second time we spoke together, uh, Chairwoman Cheney and I, uh, we made the determination that we were going to communicate the message uh, that we were going to go back to the Capitol once the chamber had been secured. Mob rule was not going to prevail. The rule of law was going to prevail. And we were going to complete our constitutional responsibilities that evening. And when I delivered that message, much to my surprise, the entire room erupted in applause, both from Democrats and from Republicans. It was an American moment. Representative Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat of New York. Uh, and, and then the third and final time that we spoke to the members uh, was also very interesting. Uh, in that particular instance, Rodney Davis, who was the lead Republican on the House um, Administration Committee, uh, was introduced by uh, Liz Cheney uh, to say a few words because he had been getting some real-time updates on the security situation given the fact that the House Administration Committee uh, is the Committee of Jurisdiction with respect to securing the Capitol and things of that nature. And then Davis yielded um, to me. And as I was speaking, uh, just providing sort of a final update as to where things stood, indicating that we thought the Capitol uh, should be secured no later than 8 uh, p.m., that the Senate is expected to return and that we would return at some point thereafter. Uh, Speaker Pelosi walked into the room uh, and at that point, everyone erupted again uh, in applause and I was able to yield to the speaker uh, who then delivered some words. And shortly after that, um, we began to make our way back to the chamber and to our respective offices. Also on the House floor that day was Texas Republican Ronnie Jackson. He told us about how he started his day at the rally former President Trump spoke at on January 6th. You know, I hadn't been in Congress but a few days, obviously. So I, uh, you know, I didn't know what normal was supposed to be anyways. And, uh, you know, we got sworn in on the 3rd. We show up on the 6th. And, uh, you know, uh, there was this big rally downtown. Uh, you know, uh, the president was going to speak and all. Well, you know, I'm from a pretty uh, pro-Trump district, the 13th congressional district. You know, lots and lots of Trump uh, support for President Trump and for the Make America Great agenda and so on and so forth here in my district. So I had people reaching out to me from Wichita Falls and Amarillo and places in my district saying, hey, we're going to be uh, in D.C. for the uh, for the rally. Uh, you know, are you going to be down there? And I was like, no, I'm not going to be able to make it because we're voting that day. And you know, we have a lot going on in Congress. I'm probably not going to make it down there. So I wasn't planning on going. And then I uh, was uh, with some, a couple of the folks in my office, my scheduler in particular, and she was kind of wanting to go down there. And uh, so I looked at the clock and I said, well, look, we don't have to be on the floor till like around noon. I said, I think we might have time to go down there and just check it out real quick. And we we're just going to go down there and see what, you know, what was going on. So we, uh, we drove as close as we could. And then we got out and we had to 
even as a member of Congress, I had to get out and walk for blocks and blocks to get there. But we finally got there. And, uh, you know, we got there like, I think, 11 o'clock or so. Uh, there was a lot of loud music. You know, every, there was huge crowds. The stage was empty. And, uh, you know, we, we couldn't stay very long because so, it took us a while to get down there. And we needed to take us a while to get back. So I thought, well, we'll just stay for 30 minutes, see if we can find some of my constituents down here, say hi to them, and then get back. Of course, there were way too many people for that to happen. So uh, I got, I did, I got up and I looked and there was just thousands and thousands of people, uh, you know, between the, uh, uh, between the ellipse there where the stage was set up and the Washington Monument, and then both to the, uh, to the east and the west. Uh, there's just a huge, huge sea of people, you know, all red, white, and blue. Everybody had Trump, uh, you know, hats and flags and everything. It was super peaceful. I mean, you know, the people had their kids down there and things, and it was pretty festive. But uh, that was the extent of it. So uh, we didn't hear anybody, anybody speak or anything. We had to go back. And so we went back, and I was trying to rush back because I didn't want to be late because, you know, we were going to vote on uh, uh, on uh, accepting these uh, electoral college votes we're going to vote on on the uh, you know on the states uh, individually and uh, whether we're going to accept the electoral college votes for each state that was that was the, the that was what we we're doing that day so I got back got to the floor and uh, you know it was pretty neat I mean the senate came in and everything you know and they just filed in and I was sitting down there and uh, they they all piled in and uh, you know we we met we met together joint uh, joint session of congress there with the senate and the house together everything was going fine and then we got to uh, arizona and uh, you know it was contested so the rules were that the senate would break away and they would go back to the senate chamber for two hours and then we would stay on the floor of the house for two hours we would debate it uh, independent of each other and then we'd get back together and vote on it so that was a process so they broke off they left the senate went back we were in the floor of the house everything was going fine i don't really know how far we got into it i feel like it was only maybe like five people or so that were speaking they were going back and forth from the democrats to the republicans alternating back and forth nancy pelosi was up on up at the podium uh, you know and she was kind of overseeing it all at some point i didn't really notice but they pulled her away and someone else came in to replace her and i don't think that i i didn't really pick up on that that happens every now and then anyways and i already seen that happen a few times in the three days I was there. So I, uh, I didn't really, that didn't really catch my attention. But uh, what did catch my attention is uh, shortly after that, um, these Capitol Police officers started coming into the chamber. And the thing that was odd is they were being very loud. I mean, we were still actively debating, people were talking, and, and there was making a lot of commotion. And you know, the doors to the chamber are typically open. And all those doors, they started shutting all the doors. And you could hear the doors like boom, 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 all the doors shutting. And then you could actually hear them locking. Click, 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 click. You could hear all the doors locking. The house will be in order. House will be in order. And then I noticed several of them were standing in front of the doors and they, they had their weapons out. And I, and I was just like, what is going on? Well, I can't remember that I had a colleague sitting next to me. And, you know, if you remember, we'd already had several bomb threats in the, off, in the house office buildings earlier that day. I'm in the Cannon building and my staff had already been evacuated, resettled and evacuated and resettled. So well, I had a colleague next to me said, well, it's probably a bomb threat. And I said, no, this is not a bomb threat. If it was a bomb threat, they wouldn't be locking us <laughs> inside the chamber and posting people with, you know, with their weapons on the inside. I knew right away, just you know, from my time 
14 years at the White House working on a variety of contingency programs and dealing with Secret Service and everything, and then being in the military as well, that there was somebody in the building that shouldn't be in the building. It was pretty obvious to me even at that point. Uh, but I didn't know what the what the what the extent of that was, or you know uh, where that was, you know if that was a, if it was a big deal or not at that point. And um, but then shortly after that, what I heard was I heard like boom, 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 boom. You could hear it kind of in the distance. It sounded like it was pretty far away, but not really, because you could also hear people yelling. You could hear what they were saying, but you could hear a lot of yelling, a lot of commotion, and then you could hear that boom, 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 boom. And I knew that I knew what that was. I'd heard it before. I knew that was tear gas being deployed. And then just a few minutes after that, or a few, not even a few minutes, you know, a few seconds after that, um, you saw the Capitol Police up conferring with the, the folks that were up, you know, uh, up on the podium in the podium area in the, in the floor of the house. They were talking and then uh, they, uh, somebody got on the, uh, you know, uh, just made an announcement. They said, hey, everyone, please uh, get your gas mask out. Uh, you know, there are some people in the Capitol that aren't supposed to be here. Uh, tear gas has been deployed. We may have to leave and we may have to go through an area that's, uh, that's, that's been gassed. So please get your gas mask out and have them ready to go. Well, I didn't even know, quite honestly, I hadn't really paid attention, but we all had escape hoods. They weren't really gas masks. They were escape hoods under, under each of our chairs. So we pulled these escape hoods out. And I, I, I'd been trained on using them, like I said, because I was at the White House for so long. So I knew exactly what they were, how to use them or whatever. So I opened mine up real quick, got it out, had it ready to go, but didn't take it out enough that it, that it activated, that it turned on. But I was ready to pull it right out, don it. Well, a lot of people uh, were having trouble getting them open. So I was walking around at that point, just helping other members open it up and showing them how to don it, things of that nature. So if they had to put it on, they knew how to do it. And uh, that was going fine. And then all of a sudden, uh, we heard like this loud commotion at the back door, the door uh, you know, uh, opposite of the speaker's lobby where, you know, the, where everybody files in, where the Senate comes in and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and everything for like State of the Union, that door in the back, that center door in the back, uh, all of a sudden it was like, boom, boom, people were just banging on the door. And then everybody just kind of freaked out that was on the floor of the house because they were like, wow, they're here. And that was the first thing I thought too, oh my gosh, they're here, right? And so everybody just kind of migrated to the other side over by the speaker's lobby, which is a natural thing to do because, you know, there was, there was something violent happening right there at that door. And it looked like they were trying to trying to break down the door. Well, they were trying to break down the door, and it got even more violent uh, in the next few in the next few seconds. Next thing I know, they were just ramming something into the door. Either they were throwing the weight of all their bodies in the door, or they were ramming something in the door uh, because the door started buckling. They actually started buckling inside, like they were about to rupture, like just burst open any minute. It became pretty obvious at that point that they were about to enter the chamber, and I had no idea. Like, keep in mind that I had not seen TV. We, we were, I, I wasn't checking my phone or anything like that was too much going on I didn't even think to check my phone or anything we had no idea who was on the other side of the door but they were violently trying to enter the chamber where we were at and we were just you know working on the assumption which you know that they were coming in to do us harm Texas Republican Ronnie Jackson so everybody was kind of over on the other side where the uh, where the speakers lobby's at and we realized uh, when I say we it was myself uh, Tony Gonzalez uh, Pat Fallon Troy Nails Mark Wayne uh, Mullen from Oklahoma. So there's uh, four of us that were, uh, or five of us that were new Texas members and Mark Wayne Mullen who'd been there for a while from Oklahoma. And we were sitting in the back right by that door when the commotion started. So when everybody else got up and moved to the back, we were a little bit slower to get up and start moving. And we, and then, but before we, before we moved over to the speaker's lobby where everybody else was at, we noticed that there were only three Capitol Police officers that were back there by the door. And they had their weapons drawn and they were standing there pointing their weapons at the door, expecting these people to come through the door in a minute. Well, we realized like they're going to need some help. Right. And uh, and, you know, people were like, well, why would you stay? Uh, you know, but they initially, you know, you, 
kind of the fight or flight thing kicks in. But if you look around, you could look and see that there was no flight. <laughs> there was nowhere for us to go. So it was just, we were left with nothing but fight. So we realized that, you know, that A, they needed help, that we, we had the capability to, to help them out. So what we did is we started grabbing furniture and dragging the biggest, heaviest pieces of furniture we could get over. And we piled it in front of that door to try to stop them from coming through. And then we realized, well, if they do come through the door, we're going to need some way to defend ourselves. So we started breaking the legs off furniture. And uh, I, in particular, ended up with a, a piece of furniture that we broke off of one of the uh, hand sanitizer uh, stations, had a wooden post. I broke that off the, off the uh, uh, base of it and then broke the hand sanitizer off the top part. And I had that as a, as a big stick. And then, uh, you know, Pat Fallon was standing next to me and he was like, hey, take your ties off so you can't get choked with your ties. And I didn't really kind of didn't even realize I was, you know, hadn't thought about having a tie on, but that was a, that was probably a good, a good suggestion. So we all took our ties off and threw our ties down. And, uh, you know, we had these sticks and we just lined up behind the Capitol police officers there. So that if these people came through the door, we could help, you know, I don't know, you know, even convince them to turn around and, and go away or, or defend ourselves, defend our colleagues, whatever. But we just felt like, you know, that was the only option left was to, for us to stand there and fight and defend ourselves because we weren't able to get out of the back. And I think what the Capitol Police were thinking at the time, probably rightfully so, is that, you know, they didn't want to move us out of that area. There were a couple hundred members of Congress in there. I don't think they knew what routes were clear. They didn't want to take 200 members of Congress and start moving them to a secure location only to run into a group of these rioters somewhere on, you know, in one of the halls. So they were, they were thinking it was safer to keep us there and just try to, uh, you know, uh, for us to uh, you know, secure that area and keep them from coming in. And I think that's what they were planning to do. A lot of people started going out and they were already in the speaker's lobby, but the two doors on the end of the speaker's lobby were closed. So um, what happened is uh, we were standing there lined up behind the Capitol Police. Everybody else was over on the other side for the most part or in the speaker's lobby. And I remember I reached down because there's a piece of wood sticking off the bottom of the stick I had. And I just bent over to kind of knock it, knock it off with my foot and I bent down. I was standing right in front of the glass in that, where that door was at. And as I was raising up, I heard pop, 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 pop. And uh, I just saw glass shattering everywhere. And uh, I don't, to this day, don't know exactly what it was, but there were projectiles of some sort coming through that glass because it was very distinct, pop, 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 pop. And the glass just started, bust, started bursting. So somebody started yelling, shots fired, shots fired. And everybody just kind of got down low uh, toward the ground. And then that's when I think the Capitol Police realized, hey, uh, it's safer for us to move the members out and, try, and take our chances on running into these people on the evacuation route than stay here. And that's what happened at that point. Uh, we started moving over toward the speaker's lobby as well. Capitol Police uh, started moving everybody out the, uh, one of the doors there in the speaker's lobby down the stairs, and they moved us to a secure location. And interestingly enough, uh, right after we moved out of there was where the young lady was shot on the other side of the speaker's lobby, the other door opposite the one we went out. That was where she crawled through the window and was shot and killed. So uh, it was crazy. I mean, literally, they were on three sides of us, and we just we just went out the one the one corner of the uh, of the chamber there where they didn't happen to be. And luckily, we made it to a secure location and got there and everything. But it was crazy, you know. And I, I really uh, people ask me, were you scared? I wasn't really scared. I mean, it wasn't one of those things where like you had time to think about it too much. You were just kind of, you know, and I'd, I'd been in situations before where, you know, I'd been had rockets and mortars launched at me and I'd been shot at and stuff in Iraq and, you know, Afghanistan and stuff. So I didn't mainly in Iraq for me. But um, so, I mean, it, it was kind of it was kind of eerily similar. You know, you could smell the tear gas in the chamber. It was was coming into the chamber and you could smell it and it was just total chaos. And then whenever uh, the, the glass started breaking and somebody started yelling shots fired. Uh, it, it was just more of a survival thing, but 
I, uh, I'm just glad we made it out of there safely. Everybody made it out safely. And the first thing I did when I got to a safe location was just call my, uh, my wife and my kids because I realized they were probably watching all this happen on TV. And of course, you know, I didn't let them know where we're at or anything because we were still, you know, kind of in danger. But I just said, I can't tell you where I'm at, but I just want to let you know I'm safe and I'm not on the floor of the house. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. And that was just my priority. Louisiana Democrat Colin Allred is a former professional football player who was near Congressman Jackson on the House floor. He begins by remembering the last conversation he had with his wife before going to the Capitol on January 6th. Well, the night before, uh, my wife and I were up late watching uh, the, the Senate results coming in from Georgia. Uh, and, you know, we're really thrilled uh, to see the first black senator, first Jewish senator ever elected from the state of Georgia. Uh, and, you know, I think felt kind of an exhilaration about what that would mean and, and what that meant about the South and what that would mean for the country in terms of, you know, the Congress. And I had to be uh, in the chamber the next morning uh, as part of the House leadership team. And, uh, you know, we were observing COVID regulations. And so we only had the members of the delegations of the states that were being challenged and the leadership team on the floor. And then there were some other members you know, who wanted to attend who were in the gallery. And so uh, that's what we did on our side, on the Republican side, uh, there wasn't as, as quite the same uh, level of commitment to the, the COVID regulations. It was pretty packed over there actually. And I remember looking over there and, and thinking, well, that's, that's not the rules that we discussed, but you know, we're, we're gonna have to proceed. Uh, and you know, I remember that morning um, speaking to my wife before we left, she was uh, at home with our not yet two-year-old, and she was, I think, eight months pregnant at that point. And you know, saying goodbye to her and knowing that it was going to be a long day because at that point we expected maybe six states uh, to be challenged with two hours of debate for each state, uh, knowing uh, that probably would not be home for a, a long time, and um, you know, and so just, you know, had kind of an extra goodbye, also expecting that there might be some difficulty that day, obviously not anticipating anything like what happened. Uh, and, you know, went to the Capitol and went to the floor and was there when the vice president and, and the Senate came over uh, and the uh, opening of the uh, results began and they started, you know, alphabetically. And we knew, of course, that the first state uh, that was going to be challenged was Arizona. And so when Arizona came up, um, you know, there was, I forget who raised it on their side, on the House side. Uh, but then, you know, my home state, Senator Ted Cruz, uh, supported it uh, when they asked if there was a senator who would support it. Uh, is the objection in writing and signed by a senator? Yes, it is. It is. And at this point, you know, I still am not really aware of much of what's going on outside of the building. You know, I knew that there was a rally. I knew that Trump had called for that rally. knew that he told his supporters to be there and that it was going to be wild. Um, but, you know, I still at that point was just expecting it to be just another, you know, kind of public relations thing around the election and how it wasn't legitimate and things he'd been doing for this point, weeks and months, and which I thought was quite dangerous, but obviously I still didn't know how dangerous it would get. 
Uh, and when the Senate left the chamber uh, to, for us to debate what happened in Arizona, we started and and I, I've, I think Jamie Raskin may have begun for us and, and the, the Arizona delegation was gonna get up and, and we were all kind of ready uh, to make our arguments about why the election you know, was not fraudulent, why we as a Congress didn't have the power uh, to overturn the election results. And it was around then that I started getting uh, texts from my staff and from my wife uh, asking me where I was. And you know, I was like, well, I'm on the floor, you know, which is the House floor is generally, you know, I worked in the White House as well. You know, these are a couple places in the country where you feel like you might be in the safest place in the country. And on the House floor is one of them. You can't even enter the floor, you know, unless you're a member of Congress or you're have special permission to enter with a member of Congress. Uh, and so, you know, just saying, well, you know, I'm on the floor, we're just proceedings are going on. Uh, and started getting more texts about, well, there's, there's something going on uh, outside the Capitol. The kind of tenor of the text started getting more and more concerned. Uh, and I think probably my wife and staff maybe didn't want to tell me exactly just what was happening at that time since, since I was working. Uh, but I could tell that they were concerned. Uh, and uh, at, at some point, they paused the proceedings. And I, I don't know, it wasn't the sergeant in arms, but one of the um, Capitol Police who was responsible for the security on the floor came to the microphone and said that, there, that the, uh, the Capitol had been breached. We were pausing. Uh, the proceedings that we were going to, were, everything was fine. It's, it's stay in your seats. Nobody move. You know, we're just gonna we're just gonna wait here. Uh, we had a breach of the Capitol building. That is why we ordered a lockdown of both chambers, the House and the Senate. Uh, Capitol Police is responding to the uh, area where the individual has uh, breached the building, and we will advise. And so we even, I think, then got back and, and kept going. Um, and then a few minutes later, uh, the protective details for the speaker, uh, for majority leader, for the majority whip, the minority leader, the minority whip kind of swept into the chamber and took uh, the, the leaders of the House out of the chamber pretty aggressively. I remember they wouldn't let uh, Steny get his papers. And um, I thought that was really really odd and, and very concerning. Uh, and then Jim McGovern took over the chair and we still tried to keep going. I mean, I, looking back on it, you know, it kind of seemed strange that we were proceeding with this useless debate uh, when, you know, it was pretty clear that at this point that something was happening was really serious. And, and the debate honestly was not very serious, particularly from uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Uh, and so, you know, as that as we started tried to restart, uh, they interrupted us again and and said, you know, we're going to have to ask you to remove your gas masks that are beneath your seats. Which I honestly, at that point, until that point, did not even realize they were there, uh, and uh, put them on. We, there's, we've deployed tear gas in the rotunda, 
I'm saying the, the rotunda is, is a few feet away from where we're sitting. Uh, and, you know, people started getting very, pretty frightened and standing up, a lot of commotion. Representative Colin Allred, Democrat of Texas. And I remember uh, helping Hakeem Jeffries get his gas mask bag open. He just, just couldn't get it open. And then when I ripped it open, somehow it damaged the mask. So we had to get him another one. And I remember being worried that we weren't going to get it open for him in time. Um, and Do you remember I, what kind of conversations you, the two of you were having? We were very cool in the moment. Um, I think we were both angry. I was certainly angry uh, that this was happening. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, there were a lot of people around me who, you know, I felt uh, responsible for, I guess you'd say. Um, and, you know, so we were just sort of trying to make sure that everybody around me was okay. And, um, you know, they're, you know, they're, people were quite worried. Uh, and so at that point, you know, I took off my suit jacket, which I have never been on the house floor before or since uh, without my, my suit jacket and um, was pretty much decided, well, you know, whatever happens is going to happen. And, and so I sent a text to my wife uh, saying, you know, whatever happens, I love you. And uh, she wrote back, you know, I love you too. And for me, uh, that text was in many ways, you know, I don't know what's going to happen from here, but I want to make sure that I, I send this because uh, I wasn't at that point, you know, things are really starting to deteriorate quickly. Uh, we have furniture. Did you take your suit jacket off because you thought you might have to do what? Well, you know, first of all, I mean, the athlete in me just wants to be in a position where I can run, fight, whatever I got to do, you know. So uh, I took the suit jacket off, I think, with that in mind. Um, but also just... Uh, it was more of kind of a, the way I was thinking of it was, you know, well, I'm not going to be sitting here, you know, and not ready for anything, you know, so I need to be prepared. And um, so it wasn't really a total conscious decision. It just seemed like, well, okay, let's just, we just have to get ready. Um, and so we have furniture on the house floor that is used to, for documents, basically, you can come in and pick up the, you know, the boat orders and all, and all those things. And, um, they were pushing the furniture in front of the doors and locking the doors uh, to try and barricade the house floor. And up in the gallery, I could see them running around trying to lock, uh, the gallery doors. And, you know, these are ornate decorative doors. They're not intended to be uh, used for that purpose. And, you know, it wasn't much longer uh, after that when uh, you know, they, they said they came on and said we're gonna have to evacuate uh, off the floor. Um, you bring your your gas masks and uh, you know we're gonna find a, a way out. But we still it, it was I think it was a few minutes before they actually found a route for us to leave. Uh, and you know looking back on it in the meantime we didn't realize that people were just feet away from us at that point. Uh, and then finally, they said, okay, we're going to exit the door when you're looking at the rostrum to the right, and we're going to you know, head out and down some stairs and, and basically uh, away to a secure location. And as we were leaving the floor, I, could, I looked back at the, uh, the main doors 
uh, to where the president comes in for the State of the Union, uh, where the Sergeant in Arms, you know, announces the President of the United States, you know, Madam Speaker. Um, the glass was being broken, and there are, the protective detail was there uh, with guns drawn, pointed at the glass, kind of that famous picture that a lot of people have seen. And I was walking out and just seeing that behind my shoulder and thinking, you know, what, what in the world is going on? You know, I mean, it's just one of the you know, most bizarre things. That, you know, and I, in the moment and still to this day, I just felt very, very sad, just incredibly sad about it because I felt that it was a, you know, a crossing of the Rubicon, so to speak. Uh, you know, a line had been crossed in American politics. Uh, a line had been crossed in our democracy that no matter what we did afterwards would have always happened. And, you know, and so we were, you know, spirited away. Capitol Police, like who I could tell, were in distress, you know, kind of directing us. Um, you know, they looked very concerned, didn't, not very good understanding really where we were going. We're all just kind of following each other. And I was just trying to keep up with uh, the people who I was with on the leadership team, just to make sure you know, we were all kind of in the same group. And we were, you know, taken to, you know, basically secure location that where we just waited for hours, you know, and, and had no idea. And when we got there, I, I took apart one of the rope stanchions as a club. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to hold this until, until I know what's happening. And, you know, there's no, there's no one there. There's no security there. There's no, I mean, we had maybe a few Capitol police, I think outside the doors, but um, you know, that for several hours, while we were all watching on our phones and talking to our loved ones about what's happening in the Capitol, you know, we were basically uh, just waiting and, and didn't have much information. But, you know, there were some interesting conversations uh, that did occur in, in that room. And, uh, you know, without going into too much uh, detail, I think I'll, I'll leave it to the participants. You know, there were folks who... Uh, we're having conversations, Republicans speaking with Democrats about we have to in, impeach the president tomorrow. Uh, th this is this is too far. Uh, and, you know, that kind of spirit of what happened in that room, I, I think some of that dissipated and some of it didn't. And uh, you, know, you can kind of look at uh, what happened over time as, as to, you know, where you think the, the attitudes were. But in that room, there were also you know, the, the main objectors uh, to, the, to, the, to the vote total and the ones who in some cases had played some role in, you know, the lead up to this, you know. And so it was a, an interesting room to be, to be locked in for several hours. Um, and, you know, we were still, this is before any of us, I think, have been vaccinated. You know, we're all still in the COVID, you know, fears and, and, and worries and concerns about that. Um, but eventually, you know, we realized that we we're going to be able to get control of the Capitol. And I felt very strongly, and we, a lot of us spoke about this, that we needed to make sure we went back on the floor that night uh, and, and certified the results. Because I wanted to make sure that the outcome of what happened wasn't that the vote total wasn't counted. When, that it had to be, whether it was 3 a.m. or 5 in the morning, didn't care. That we were going to certify uh, that presidential result that day and that mob was not going to stop us and so we did and we had to come back and we we even had two more hours of debate on Pennsylvania <laughs> and thankfully 
I think, you know, dropped some of the other states so we didn't have to stay all night, but I was ready and, you know, willing to stay there as long as it took because we were going to certify the results and make sure uh, that the, the will of the people was reflected in the, from the election. Shortly after 3.30 in the morning on January 7th, lawmakers certified the results of the 2020 presidential election. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for president of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for president of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden, Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for Vice President of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for Vice President of the United States are as follows. Kamala D. Harris of the state of California has received 306 votes. Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana has received 232 votes. The purpose of the joint session having concluded, pursuant to Senate Concurrent Resolution 1, 117th Congress, the chair declares the joint session dissolved. This has been January 6th, Views from the House. You can find more coverage from that day and the congressional hearings examining what happened at cspan.org.